when there's like guests coming for the first time and they, you know, you explain something about the food and then there's a chef to ask all these questions on and they get so excited and it's only just the beginning of their night. You know, you really can build that relationship up with them as well. To my own absolute astonishment, we have clocked up more than 500 episodes of Dirty Linen. To celebrate this, to mark the moment, I am spending a couple of weeks at Vudemont, a restaurant that has all that has for 23 years been an important place for Melbourne to celebrate its milestones. So here we are. Today's guest is Chef Claire Fay. Uh, Claire is senior sous chef at Vudemont, uh, and I'm thrilled to welcome her to the podcast. Hey, Claire. Hi. Good afternoon. Very uh, happy to be here as well. Yeah, I'm thrilled to have you on. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your role at VU. Um, well, I've been at VU for more than, well, this week actually is going to be five years. So um, it's, been, it's been quite a journey. I started uh, in the pastry section. And from there on, I've worked my way throughout every section of the kitchen and now being one of the um, uh, senior sous overseeing everything that's happening and making sure that everybody is where they should be before before the service starts. Um, so quite a lot of things to handle, I think. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's an amazing place to work and it's always changing around. So I guess that's also one of the reasons why I've been there for, for this amount of time. I think um, last time that I was there, it was a lunch service and you were at the pass. So, uh, you know, con controlling everything that happened um, in the kitchen and, and the dining room, managing everything. Um, what's it like to be there for service uh, where, you know, that people are celebrating their special moments there in front of you? Oh, it's amazing. It's It's very different from like actually cooking, of course, like that's something that I've done for so long, but then to be there and managing everything and making everything flawless um, is really an, a, a great like next step as well, because I feel like it really, everything that I've learned working in kitchens then all comes together, you know, and really also trying to recognize like, oh, like, you know, you see people's expressions on their faces while they're eating and what's happening and oh maybe we can do this to make it more extra or you know noticing like oh there are guests from Japan maybe we can get the Japanese you know waiter to give them a kitchen tour so they actually understand a little bit more of what's going on since um, you know they're visiting and, and maybe um, you know they, they love to get a better picture of everything that we do and yeah I guess it's attention to detail in a different way because through food I've always done that but now it's even more with the guest experience as well um, so yeah it's just making it even even bigger you know like where you're like what else is there after the cooking and after creating dishes and then that aspect comes in as well and I think it's really beautiful um, yeah to be doing that as well I I mean it's it's at the same time it feels like you're in charge of of so much so it's there's a lot of like internal pressure like to keep it all together <laughs> and to make sure nothing goes wrong of course I, I think that role standing at the pass is is 
you know, not particularly well understood by the dining public. Can you just explain to somebody who doesn't quite know what you're doing? I feel like it's a bit like, you know, people look at the conductor, you know, in front of a symphony orchestra and they think, are they just waving their arms around? I mean, what is what is actually happening when you're standing at the pass with all those dockets? Um, so you're basically making sure that all the dishes go out at the right moment. So when the guests first arrive, you want to make sure that they're not waiting too long to have something, you know, the first course to enjoy. Um, and then that's when the wine pairing gets discussed or people just get their first drink, but they already have a small first course to enjoy and then they have a little moment and then it's your call to kind of okay like let's get going and to make sure that the menu flows and it doesn't have too many big gaps in between but also recognizing if guests maybe want to have a little break or you know it's going too fast for them and then you're communicating with the kitchen um, and also communicating with the front of house to make sure that everything arrives at the table at the right time as you know, in these days as well, we're not just doing wine pairings. We got cocktail pairing, mocktail pairing, tea pairing. <laughs> um, so if if a table of four, you know, one person's on a wine pairing, one on a mocktail pairing, one cocktail, one tea, like you also have to make sure that all those drinks come out in time. So there's a lot of communication then with the front of house as well. Um, and then with the kitchen, making sure everything is hot. Of course, dietaries are very important, allergies even <laughs> uh, even important, but of course, yeah, there's like people with severe nut allergies, like being in kitchens as long as I have been as well, like, you know, those kind of mistakes you really don't want to have happen while you are managing, because you're managing everybody and everything, so, you know, in the end it's your responsibility and like people can, you know, like die if they eat nuts when they can't eat nuts, so you know, to be really on top of that and make sure that everybody else around you also understands all those, yeah, like, I guess, pressure points, like, understands how important it is. And what you said as well, like, people celebrating something special and they waited for months to come. So I think that's really important to carry through as well to everybody around you, like, even though we are repeating ourselves daily. You know, they are only there maybe once in a lifetime um, so I think that that is very important as well to kind of shine that through while you're standing there as well yeah is that sort of freshness of someone coming to the restaurant perhaps for the first time is that part of the energy that flows through the open kitchen at Vudemond yeah I think what's special about Vudemond is the fact that the chefs go into the dining room because often you know, a chef just stays in the kitchen and he doesn't have any connection. But when there's like guests coming for the first time and they, you know, you explain something about the food and then there's a chef to ask all these questions on and they get so excited and it's only just the beginning of their night. You know, you really can build that relationship up with them as well. And then, you know, you're going back and knowing that that table is so excited for being there, wanting to go back again to explain a dish and I think it's just yeah making that's what of course what front of house uh, is part of what they do but having that as a chef as well makes it really makes it really good because you can have a connection going into the restaurant and then walk back into the kitchen and it just kind of 
highlights what you're doing and just yeah keeps you keeps you excited for throughout the rest of the service mm, so direct yeah you have a you know you have a real talk with with the guests like almost every like every chef goes into the kitchen when they're new we we give that a little moment but once once they're settled in you know we're like okay it's time it's time to go like it's time to talk and then oh you know maybe they're also from the Netherlands and then it's even more fun it's even more exciting because you have another connection and another click and it's you know you try and explain things in Dutch which is actually really hard <laughs> after five years in Australia <laughs> um, yeah what's the Dutch for, for gum nuts <laughs> yeah no <laughs> I don't think we uh, yeah note <laughs> gum note <laughs> Um, so Claire, you, you've um, you've let slip that you're from the Netherlands. Um, tell us about you know food in your childhood and and what led you on the path to being a chef. Um, well, growing up, we I have uh, two older brothers, two younger sisters, so big family. So it would always be a lot of like big share meals um, that would, my mom would often cook. But then my dad would always be kind of the grill grill master. But both of them really love eating and wine um, and it's always been in our family uh, like just to enjoy and to cook and big parties with barbecues and um, then when I was 12 I didn't really know what to do and for us when you go to high school you can kind of pick your high school and then there was a school that was doing cooking as well and I went to like the open day and I was like wow this is amazing because 50% of the time you don't actually spend in a classroom but you're either in the kitchen or in the restaurant or in the pastry kitchen. Um, and so it was kind of like a little bit of a prep school, I guess. But I thought it was amazing. I was like, oh, great. Like, I'm going to be, you know, <laughs> I won't have to put my head down in books because I think that I was always a bit more um, like, yeah, not that much studying. Um, and from there, it just went up. And then there was like a cooking college where you could uh, apply to be part of like the, the master uh, Michelin class where everybody in the group have to be working in Michelin star restaurants and then two master chef have to like write you a recommendation for you to start and you would work one, you would go to school one day a week and then you would work just full time, just kind of like apprenticeship I guess here, but it's it is connected to like a, school still so you also would have like English and Dutch but all in one day at school and then the rest of it you would just be at work and learn everything and have to tick off all the boxes um, but um, yeah that kind of you know I guess made me also become more ambitious and um, when I got into the class yeah it was just like the next step because of course in the high school you're 12 to 16 so it was a lot more fun. Uh, but we did have an actual restaurant as well. So once a week from the third uh, year, you would uh, like either be serving in the restaurant or cooking uh, the menu. And then guests from the neighborhood would just come and eat. So we're like 15, 16. Um, but then I did really feel like I love it and I want to yeah, get better and better and work in better places and... Um, yeah, so I just continued 
doing that. And once I finished school when I was 22, um, I felt it was time to go overseas. And then I just applied to all the top 10 restaurants in the world, three Michelin star. And the first to reply was 11 Madison Park. And they were like, well, why don't you come for trial? And if we like you and you like us, then we can get organized on a visa. So I was like, well, you, you know that I live in Amsterdam, right? <laughs> for a trial of one day. Um, but I was like, well, I've never been to New York. It sounds like an amazing adventure. So I flew there and had the trial. And then, yeah, they, they hired me. So I organized a visa and I was there for one year. Um, which, yeah, was also like an insane experience. Amazing team, but also massive kitchen. Um, so many chefs, so much structure. So I learned so much there as well. And then I did feel like, oh, maybe taking a step back and um, just have a little bit of a, a more laid back uh, year. And then my friend told me about Melbourne and how relaxed it is and but really good food scene so and then I, I moved here wow Claire what a tale um so so much in that I wish um we had those high school restaurants here that sounds so cool that you could just have in your neighborhood have teenagers cooking for you skilling up at the same time uh what sort of what sort of menus did you put up for people um, it was really classic French. So we would have like the haricot fair uh, wrapped in bacon. Uh, we would do the um, velouté soup. I remember I did that fennel velouté for my exam. Uh, but also hussara salade. It's like very classic Dutch. You learn how to make mayo, but everything is whisked by hand. And then we'd learn all the classic Dutch cookies. <laughs> So also stroop waffles. Um, we would do a lot of things like um, with fish as well, like the herring, but then pickling it and turning it into different hors d'oeuvres. Um, and yeah, like all the basic like stocks, soups, cream soup. Uh, they loved bafroa as well. Um, and then in the restaurant, in the restaurant, you would serve everything table side. So you would go out with a um, little, little trolley with a rougeau, with a plate holder, and you would serve it to the guests uh, from the table. So we wouldn't play the plate it in the kitchen. You would serve the food up on the metal warm trays. And then you would, if you are in the front of house that day, you would roll it out and then you would serve it, like you would serve it up with, a, you know, the spoon and the fork. But it was very uh, like a classic more but now I know it's still the school is still there and they're doing more like Dutch cuisine so they're trying to uh, work around a lot more around um, yet yeah, uh, Dutch style food which uh, is very no very Nordic um, but it was yeah it was a great start you know and after that after I was in the like in the Michelin star group years later we would have also at school one year of pastry so you would really develop your chocolate skills um, and then also breads you would go deep into it laminating and then you would do meats you would make sausages and uh, you know debone fish and carved meats uh, pate en crudes like <laughs> all the 
yeah all the i guess in a way like all the basics but then you would always have a challenge like you know you would have to make like your own sausage filling and then end of the class who has the best sausage teacher would like um grade you and then you would go to work and you know you'd be like oh like shall i do like sausages for staff meal or stuff like that so i think it was a re i always believe like it's very good system of teaching and making people you know wanting to grow in what they're doing because you get so much support and yeah it's a really good way of developing your skills yeah i think the only uh, may the only uh, concern i have with it is that if to decide at 12 um that you want to go down a particular pathway um you know, what if you what if you didn't know or what if you change your mind? Is there the opportunity to jump ship? Yeah, so then you could kind of transfer to uh, another school, like another high school that doesn't have any of the cooking. But it would also be for tourism. So people could change in the third year uh, to, for instance, to focus more on, uh, like, uh, yeah, uh, focus more on tourism or more on the front of house aspect or or people would change school and then they would just finish their like high school degree and then from there go to a normal college. So Claire let's jump to 11 Madison Park. Uh, you gave us a little taste of it but give us some details like what were some of the things that you saw that you perhaps found really overwhelming or challenging or exciting? I was there when they became number one but then they already um, signed for a renovation so then the restaurant closed so for three months they put all of the team out in the Hamptons um, and they provided us with like housing BMW sponsored like 20 cars for the team to drive around with um, because there's no public transport in the Hamptons except a few buses so that was also really amazing like change around because of course you know yeah, we are doing, you're working like nonstop and you kind of got a bit more of a, a break living in the Hamptons and also get to enjoy summertime, not in humid New York City, but on the ocean, on the coast. So, and yeah, just, I guess also like it was very like cool to get all the celebrities in that all have their beach houses on the Hamptons and being able to like, have a bit of a banter with that as well. Um, and there I did some bar shifts because their bar team is incredible as well. And because we're doing less hours, I asked to work with their um, with their bar team and just kind of to get a feel of that as well. Um, and they were like so happy to yeah place you around and um, to um, yeah make sure that you know you're still enjoying because. I, I had a one-year visa, so they also know, like, oh, your time is a bit limited. Then if you want to extend it, it is an all-other journey. And especially in the States, also, like, very difficult and expensive. Hence why I then decided, like, you know what? I'm just going to go somewhere else in the world. Like, I don't want to, like, lock myself into this now. Um, because I think in the end, though, I did... At one point, you're, you're like, okay, there are so many chefs. Like, there is a... Together with them, I think you do feel a bit of a family. But it's such a big team. 
for me, it was too big, you know, like it was almost corporate. And I did want to go somewhere where I would feel a little bit more, just a little bit more, um, yeah, it's just a bit smaller family, maybe. <laughs> if that's a good way. Claire, can you take us into the kitchen, take us into 11 Madison Park, you know, leading up to World's 50 Best? I mean, what is, was there a lot of anticipation about, you know, where the restaurant was going to rank? What did, what did it feel like to be there for that time? Yeah, because we were number, it was number three at that moment. So there was a lot of like, you know, what's going to happen. And then we all watched, um, the the showing together in like a, a little rented place in New York and yeah because Will and Gadara uh, Will Gadara and Danny Hume went of course and then we we're like watching it live stream and it was it was just an insane moment like I I yeah it's hard to describe you know like because I was there already for a few months as well so you do really feel like so much craziness going through and then how they celebrated was really cool as well because they're emptying out the restaurant for the renovation so then we just had a major party and they just like you know trashed the whole place because they're like it doesn't matter because we're gonna do the renovation anyways so everybody just go as crazy as you want <laughs> um so yeah yeah and then you know after that everybody just sitting on the bus together like insanely hangover up to the Hamptons, you know. <laughs> um, and then, of course, we did um, the Netflix show of the reopening. And that was also very, you know, like, then it's like, oh, you became number one. So after you come back, there's so much more pressure even because, you know, that happened. So, of course, people come back with the highest expectations in the world because you're the best restaurant in the world. So, um yeah, that was another, you know, big pressure on top um, after the Hamptons nice break. And then you come back and it's like, OK, like, let's, you know, let's let's get back to business and make sure that we actually blow everybody's everybody's mind. Also with a whole new restaurant and a whole new kitchen, which was also amazing to work in because, you know, it was already like one of the best kitchens that I ever worked in like equipment wise and space wise. But then after the renovation, you know, with that Italian stove as well and like all the little gadgets and things like, but for me, it didn't, I was there for maybe like six more weeks and then my visa ended. Um, and then, yeah, but it was like to be part of the beginning, you know, the new energy. It, yeah, I think that was a really high, a real high, like a real, yeah, incredible high and incredible to to be part of that new new beginning. Yeah, so what an amazing period to to be at a restaurant. What an incredible span of different experiences, even though you were just there for a year. Um, okay, so you decided to come to old low-key Australia <laughs> just to chill out, but you ended up um, working at Vue du Monde. I mean, you know, we don't have the the money flowing through Australian restaurants that's possible in a city like New York. Um, but I mean, how do you compare the those two um, institutions? Um, well, I think I think um, Vudemont is quite similar. Like, 
even you know with the guests that sometimes come around there is always you know some um high anticipated uh hollywood star that is in in town he's going to be like well you know i want to sit somewhere really exclusive and have these master sommeliers or like this in like insane um wine cellar to to really indulge and to really be um blown away and go for a once in a lifetime experience like i feel like vudemont has that same feeling to it you know it's like it's not at a level, like the Madison Square Garden but it's at the top of the you know 55th floor overlooking um, over Melbourne and a view that you know never gets really never gets old the sunsets the um, the sunsets together with the moonrise at the same time uh, one of my, <laughs> my one of my favorite moments for looking out the window but I think it's it's right up there you know like it's it and even almost more like there's just a bit more looseness you know like australia is so much more laid back to compare to new york you know you're in a red race everybody's running everybody's going and you're you're running along with them of course like uh but i feel like here it's like and also at vudemont i mean you've of course been yourself many times that I've also came for dinner with my dad um, and I I was I felt like oh there's so much like chillness and still you have the same kind of service you know like every little detail is is looked after but there is just a little bit less of that yeah stiffness or tightness around you uh, which I think a lot of times guests also tell me like how relaxed they feel and how refreshing that is as well because a lot of times like you know in three mission and star restaurants you get that kind of almost scared to like move yourself you know <laughs> um and i think that's what's so uh great about voodamon is that it does there's so much room to breathe and it's the same in australia i think that the space you know you have so much room and space to be um, yeah, I love that. I mean, why have a restaurant in Australia if it doesn't feel Australian? I think, I think it's um, great to reflect uh, reflect that spirit. Um, so, Clay, you were uh, in Australia and at Vudimon during a, a pretty tricky period for people who came here on working visas. How did you navigate that period where you weren't supported by the Australian government even though you'd been welcome to the country to, um, you know, play an important role in our culinary culture. What was that like? Um, I guess at the beginning was definitely very scary because you don't know what's going on. And then, yeah, you're like, oh, there's not going to be any money (laughs) and there's no restaurant, so I won't make any money. And, of course, I was on a visa, but I'm also building up to get my permanent residency. So it's kind of like... um, if you leave, all those build-up years are gone. So, you know, people are like, some people are like, I'm going home. Like it, And it, it was quite an easy choice. But for me, I felt there was a bit more to lose going home. But then, yeah, being here by myself, I'm like, oh, like, um, what what is the best thing to do? But I did have, like, my partner and his family um, close by. So I spent a lot of time 
with them. And which really helped a lot, I guess, because I wasn't really, really by myself. And then um, of Foodamond as well, like we started doing the takeaway food, which offered just enough shifts to pay my deducted rent that I got a deduction from my landlord, which was really, really nice. Um, and to pay like my medical, like my private health insurance and my phone bill. And that was like, I didn't save any money, but I didn't have to spend any money uh, of my savings either. So in the end of it, when things started to become a little bit more like, okay, you know, like it's fine, we're gonna get through this. Um, I did quite enjoy a lot the time to like, to go outside and to like be in nature and to, to cook at home. That was a lot of fun as well. We did travel. Travel Tuesdays, um, so every Tuesday we would kind of pick a country and then we would just cook up um, a feast uh, on that country and we would play like m the music of the country during during the uh, dinner, like, you know, if it was Italian, we just do like, hey, Spotify, like, give us an Italian dinner playlist and we'd make pizzas and, you know, wine or if it was Spanish, we made sangria and... Yeah, just like really chill and walk the dog so many kilometers. <laughs> um, but it was a bit of a time of like, I guess, relaxing, you know, like not having to work. And I mean, the thing is like you're used to working so many hours. So it's also like, okay, what am I going to do? Because normally, you know, you're on your feet like that amount of hours a day. And then all of a sudden you don't have that, but you still your body is still like, go, 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 go. So, um, yeah. Yeah, those chefy rhythms. Yes, exactly. But I feel like it was, you know, it was a it was a very strange time and I'm very happy that I see the city now like so back to where it was and it's busy and all the working holiday people are coming back and all the international guests as well. Like, um but yeah, at one point, I feel like, yeah, once things settled down a bit, it also felt like, oh, I can breathe a little bit more. And then I got to apply for my permanent residency, which then also got approved quite fast. So yeah, then the table really turned and um, yeah, it made me really feel part of Australia, you know, and it's something that, yeah, I, I really did feel like I wanted to, to be there, like to be part of it. I feel like it's really like grown on me so much and I really found like my home here. Awesome. Well, um, yes, so exciting that you got your permanent residency. It's, um, yeah, really, really lucky for Australia that you stuck it out. So <laughs> it's excellent. Um, Claire, so wonderful to chat to you today. Really great to get a bit more of the backstory and learn about, um, yeah, the, the skills and um, experiences that you're able to bring to Voodamond. Um, thank you so much for sharing with us today. Yeah, thank you very um glad to talk to you and to share a bit of me with with the rest of australia this is dirty linen and i'm danny valent we air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about hearing from different people with unique perspectives we want to hear from you as well if you have something that needs to be said about a topic 
get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This.